Good. Happy October. That's kind of crazy. October's a great month, and fall is the best season. So here we are. It's good. Uh, we're also really excited about October because it's a really big month for us at the church. Uh, three weeks from today, we will be having church at the theaters across town. And so that's getting closer. I know we talk about it every week, but it's just kind of crazy, and we're excited about it. And uh, I hope that you guys continually pray for us. Uh, I hope that you're thinking of us as we kind of take this risk. Um, I hope that you're getting the word out. I hope you're telling your friends. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of crazy. This week we had a package show up at the church. Usually that's a box. But this time there was another box and another box and another box. And it ended up being 16,000 postcards that are going to go out into the mailboxes of a whole bunch of Southside neighborhoods. And so we're just kind of praying for those, praying for the word to get out, and uh, really believing that God has a plan for this South Campus. And, and it's all tied to our vision to see more and more people reach for Jesus, right? Uh, last week, we had the opportunity to celebrate. We've been raising money to get this kind of campaign off the ground, aiming for 35000 And it was a week or two ago, we had someone say, I'll match donations until we get to our end goal, which was around $11,000. And so we tallied up all the donations that came in since that kind of promise and it ended up being over $14,600. And so our donor has actually agreed to not just match the 11, but the whole 14600 And so when you add all of that together, we have actually raised over $50,000 for our South Campus, which is unbelievable. It's just crazy, and we're excited and encouraged by that and celebrating that, and that just gives us... Well, I mean, that now gives us everything we need to do to kind of go after this. And so we're really excited about it. But again, the whole point is that this is all about making Jesus famous, which is really just another way of saying this is all about declaring the name of Jesus over the city of Fredericton. That's what we're doing. That's what it's all about. And it goes back to a verse we, we used two weeks ago from Acts chapter 2, where it said, so that everyone in Fredericton would know for certain that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, Paul, he didn't, or Luke didn't use the word Fredericton in Acts chapter 2, but we've reworded things, and um, we're really excited about this, uh, feeling very strongly like this is something that God has called us to do, and it's a little crazy and a little challenging, and I, I've discovered that that's often how God works, isn't it? That when he calls you to do something, it often is a little bit crazy, and so what happens when we get that call is that we look at it and we think, well, what are people going to think if I do this? Uh, what's going to happen if I try this and it doesn't work? What happens if there's a cost associated and, and we can't do it? And you wrestle with all these questions about what to do when God calls you to do something crazy. And so that's what we're talking about today, about God's promises and about God's word and about how God carries us. And so that is our story today is the story of Jericho. But their story really goes back to another promise that they had received many years ago when they were in slavery, in a town that wasn't theirs, on land that was owned by their enemies, and God said, I promise you, someday you will have land. It will be your own land. It'll be good land, flowing with milk and honey. You'll be able to put roots down and raise families, and this is going to be your home. I promise you that there will be land coming for you someday. They actually called it the promised land because it was one of God's promises. We see this promise in Joshua 1, verse 1. 
After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. And I promise you what I promised Moses, wherever you set foot, you'll be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south, to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all of the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. That is a promise from the Lord. I won't fail you in this. I am promising you land, and you can count on it. I'm not going to fail you. And and there's a couple things I want us to notice in there, and one of them is the tenses that God uses when he speaks about this land. In verse 2, he says, this is land I am going to give you. That's a future event. This is a thing that's going to happen down the road someday. But then in the very next verse, he says, into land I have given you, which is a present tense. As if to say, I have already done this. And what God is really saying here is that when I give you a promise, even if it's about a future event, I am so confident that I will get it done that I talk about it in the present tense. You might as well just believe now that this is your land. You might as well just operate under the knowledge that I have already given this to you. They haven't even seen the land, and he's like, I've given you land, it's yours. That's how confident that you can be in a promise of the Lord. That that, that you can just operate in the present tense about a future event because it's just going to get done. Now, can you imagine what that would look like if a human decided to operate in that way? Right? You think of someone just walking into their boss's office. So when I get this promotion, (laughs) excuse me? Or you're, you're on a first date and you're like, so on our wedding day, what? Like, when the Leafs win the cup, right? Like this, we, we can't operate that way. We're pres- it's presumptuous and arrogant. How do you know the future? You have no idea what the future holds, but God does. So he can declare future events as being a present tense thing, because if he said it, it's going to happen. If he said it, you might as well consider it to be done already. You don't need to question or doubt or wonder. And in fact, we operate in that level with Jesus. Because when Jesus died on the cross and he was put into a grave and he decided to not be dead and walk out of that grave, he defeated death, he defeated the enemy, and he gave us victory. And someday he's going to come back and he's going to restore everything and make it new and fix it and everything is going to be right. That is a future event. But listen, in the present tense, we still have victory today. That victory is a future event, but it has present tense connotations. I have victory, even though I have battles. I have victory, even though there's struggles. We have freedom, even though the enemy still roams. He is as good as dead because a future event is coming, and it's a promise from the Lord. So we might as well operate in that knowledge today. Victory is here now. Those are promises from God. You can be that confident In his promise, he says, I have given you this land. And so understandably, the people are fired up. They're like, woo, let's go get it. And it's almost like they they pictured just walking through a front gate into a beautiful piece of land where someone hands them the deed to the property. We should have a ribbon-cutting ceremony with oversized scissors and everyone can clap. It'll be really nice. 
But instead what happens is that they walk up to the border of the land and they look in and they realize this land is full of all of their least favorite people. This land is full of their enemies. This land is full of people that they have battled with, people that have killed their family members. These are not what they wanted to see when they looked in this land. And and you can kind of already hear them start to argue, I thought you said this was our land. I I thought this was land filled with milk and honey. That's really code for it's full of cow poop and bumblebees, meaning that it might stink and you could get hurt. And it's a good reminder for us that sometimes God's promises still have pain. Sometimes God's promises aren't they aren't just quick and easy and immediate, but there's a process that you've got to go through, and it might hurt along the way. It, does it take back the truth that I have given you this land, that there's enemies in it? Absolutely not. But what God is saying is that oftentimes there's a role that we have to play in the promise. And you see that, verse 2. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. See, there's that tense again. You haven't given them Jericho. The walls are still up. All the Jericho is still there. No, I've given it to you. It's king and all its strong warriors. But then verse 3, so you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. In other words, I have given it to you, so go get it. I have given it to you, but you need to do something now. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to play my role, but I still need you to show up and play your role. And the good thing about God is that he will do the hardest thing. He just needs us to show up and say, well, I'll do whatever is required of me. But he'll do his part, but we need to do ours. Well, I thought you were just giving us this land. I am. I'm giving you this land. Go get it. There's something that we've got to do. It shouldn't have been a shock to them because that's how God has always operated. Hey, Noah, I'm going I'm to save you and your family from a flood. I promise. Woo! Go build a boat. Oh. Hey, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a huge nation. It's going to be so good. I know you're struggling to have kids, but I promise you, you're going to be the father of a huge nation. He's like, yeah, so go kill your only son. What? Moses, I'm going to free your people from slavery. It's going to be so good. Like, yes, so go turn the Nile to blood. Right? You can see kind of the, the, the operation that God uses is that I'm going to do the hard work and I am making you a promise, but you still need to show up and do the thing that I'm calling you to do. God's promises are partnerships where he does his part, but we still need to show up and do our part. There's always something involved that we've got to do. So this is like us hearing from God, like, I want you to go plant a south campus. You're going to reach people for Jesus in Fredericton. It's going to be so good. And us going, yeah, super. Hit it, Jesus. And he's going, no, no, no. You, you go do it. You go do the work. Start the planning. Raise the money. Print the postcards. Pray your faces off. Recruit new volunteers. I'm going to do what I can do, and it's only what I can do. But you still have to go do what you can do. God's looking for you to step into a promise and say, I'm, I'm willing to get done what I need to get done. And he does this all the time. He does this with provision. It's a promise in the Bible that God will be our provider. So oftentimes we're like, all right, we'll provide. And he's like, well, actually, no, there's another promise in there that says you need to give. You do your part and I'll do mine. Test me on it. This is what God says when 
there's healing that has to happen. He said, well, just heal me. Well, no, what you need to do is gather around with people and anoint people with oil and believe that I've got the capacity to heal them. Will you do that? Well, I'd really just like for you to fix me right now. Promises from God are always partnerships, and we have to do what it is he is asking us to do. Now, what makes Jericho even more difficult for the Israelites is that this is the first city they have to invade. Right? This is the very first one. They just started to go get the land, and it's the worst one. Jericho has been renowned as being this impenetrable fortress. It was on a hill, and then above that had all these huge stone walls. No one's ever been able to defeat Jericho. So they're all like, yeah, God, you're going to give us land. Where are we going? Jericho. Shoot. That's not what they wanted to hear. That's not what they wanted to be looking at for their very first kind of problem with this promise. And of course it was. Of course it was. It was the hardest one. Isn't the first always the hardest? Isn't the first step always the most difficult? And, and war was so different back in 1500 BC. It's not like some guy in an office in Washington could hit a button and launch a missile to hit Jericho's wall. Like they literally had to walk to it holding spears, looking up at this 20-foot stone wall. Like what are we going to do? We'll just punch it for nine days? Like there's no way we're going to get through this thing. It was hard. It was tough. And in fact, you think about where they've been up until this point. They've been wandering around the desert. For some of them, their whole lives have been walking around a desert. They were a tent community, nomadic, just going place to place, sparsely populated areas. And then they, they stroll up to Jericho, and it's got a skyline. Like, it's got tons of people and a huge market, and it's loud, and there's chaos. It would have been overwhelming for them to look at that for the first time. That'd be like living in the prairies your whole night, like your whole life. Like living in corner gas your entire existence, and then one day you walk into the heart of New York City, and God's like, take this place. Like, okay. I can hardly even look at this place. That's how they would have been feeling looking at Jericho. The first one is usually the toughest. Starting is often the most difficult spot. I mean, that's true in life, isn't it? Sometimes the hardest part of your day is getting out of bed. Amen? Right? Sometimes the hardest part of a tough conversation is saying that first line. And you even think of, like, relationally, uh, like, your wedding day. Like, my wedding day was not super stressful, but my first date was. Right, like the wedding day, I'm looking at this thinking like she wants this. It's over, done deal. She can't back out now. Like this is good. We're all fine here, nothing to worry about. But date number one is like, hi, I'm Mark. I'm just trying not to throw up today. Right, starting out is often the hardest part. Those first steps are the hardest ones. But here's the thing. It's because the first step is the one that says, I'm going to do it. The first step is your yes to God. Your first step is the one that says, I'm committed, but I'm terrified, but I'm going for it anyway. You've got to take that very first step before you're ever going to get to the promise fulfilled at the end of the journey. I might be scared, but I'm moving forward. And so they're all kind of living in that right there. They're all right, God's given us land. This is going to be great. We can take the first step. What do we have to do? They're, they're looking for how God is going to do this. How are you going to obliterate Jericho? They're still thinking that he's just going to like kick it over like a kid kicks over a Lego castle or something. Like, this is going to be great. We're just going to watch God do something unbelievable. 
And so they gather around and they find out what they're supposed to do. And here's what it is in verse 3. So you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Really? That's what we're doing? And it's almost like he's rubbing it in that you would use your fighting men to deliberately not fight. No, no, you're just going to go for a walk. It's going to be really good. They're like, there's got to be more to it than that. They're like, oh yeah, there is. Seven priests are going to walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. Oh, good. Good, you're bringing the priests along because they're so tough. They're working out all the time. They don't even know how to play the ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with priests blowing the horns. That's God's big plan. Let's take a stroll and bring the brass section. This is the worst military strategy that you could ever come up with. No human would come up with this. No person in their right mind would, would sit down and think, how are we going to take Jericho? What strategy are we going to use? Let's just walk around at a whole bunch with trumpets. See, no one is going to think that, that that's precisely the point. Is that when God asks you to do something, it's often so far beyond the comprehension of our own thought that, that it's, it's big and challenging and scary. But we were reminded of this all through Scripture. Here's one, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But you can't even decide to think that you fully understand what God is calling you to do. One of the most frequent mistakes we make with God is assuming that we've got them all figured out. One of the biggest mistakes we can make with God is understanding that, oh, I know what he does. I know how he operates. This is how it'll go. (laughs) We don't have any idea. Lean not on your own understanding is really just another way of saying, lean not on your own intellect. You can't lean on your own ability. You can't lean on your past experience. That's That's what we go to. That's what we do. Right? God says, I want you to go do this crazy thing. And we're like, no, 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 that's not smart. And you're leaning on your intellect. Or you're like, no, 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 that's, that's not going to work. I've, I've been here before. Well, that's your experience. Or you're going, no, 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 I don't have what it takes to do that like Moses did. I'm not good at talking. And no, no, that's your abilities. You can't lean on any of those things. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. Are you willing to take a step, even if it defies all of your prior knowledge about God and life and your understanding of him. Divinely orchestrated plans from God do not need your improvements. They do not need to be tweaked. They do not need to be edited. You don't have to kind of sift through them with a fine-tooth comb going, well, I don't think this part would work. No, he knows perfectly what's going to work. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. In fact, the Bible says that our wisdom is foolishness to God. Our smartest guy on the planet on his smartest day after his best cup of coffee is foolishness compared to God's wisdom. But it also says that God's wisdom seems like foolishness to us. And so if it seems like foolishness, we still need to trust him. That he knows what's right and he knows what's going to work. And they all thought it was foolishness. God said, here's your plan. Tie your sneakers, grab the trumpets, let's go. It's insane. Some of you are holding back from a promise right now from something that God has called you to do precisely because it sounds crazy. And he's asked you to do it and it doesn't make sense and that's the thing that's holding you back. Some people get so stuck in logic that they can't operate in the spirit. 
Uh, this doesn't work for my level of knowledge or my science or what I understand. And so they get stuck in their logic to the point where they can't operate in the spirit. And, and there are some people who will never experience the supernatural power of God until they're willing to even risk their own intelligence on the altar. Which is not to suggest remotely that we've all got to be dumb to follow Jesus, but we've just got to be willing to say, hey, I am willing for the sake of my faith to look foolish for God. I am willing to operate at a level that seems insane to everyone else, but it's because I believe that he will do what he says he can do, and so I'm going to do it anyway, even if it doesn't make sense in my own head. Don't get stuck in your own logic. Some people worry so much. What are people going to think if I do this? Be more concerned about what God's going to think if you don't. Lean not on your own understanding. And I wrestle with this all the time because people come to the pastor, well, how can I know God is real if I can't see him? I don't know. Well, how, why would God have all these bad things happening in the world? I don't know. Well, why isn't God answering my prayer? I don't know. I'm so glad we don't lean on our own understanding because I have a lot of not understanding. And so what we do instead is trust in the Lord with all of our heart. That's all we can do when he asks us to go do something big. God's promises are not practical. But he wants us to do them anyway. So they do it. Verse 14. On the second day, they marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. Think about how that would feel even just after your first day. You're like, all right, this is ridiculous, but we'll do it. We'll march around your town. Let's see what happens. And they start walking around. People are blowing trumpets. Can you imagine if you're in Jericho, what are you doing in that moment? <laughs> like you are mocking incessantly. Now look at these guys marching around the town. Look at them playing their trumpets. This is hilarious. You know they're getting mocked. You know they're hearing insults get thrown over that wall. You know there are kids that have climbed the wall that are chucking rocks at them. Right? That's what's going on in Jericho as they watch God's people march around the wall. And, and they finally endure that, and they get to the end of day one, and they're like, all right, what happened? Nothing. Great, let's do it again tomorrow. We have to do this again tomorrow. Yeah, we, we do. And so they do round two. They wake up. And they warm up their trumpets, and they're like, all right, let's go. And they walk around, more insults, more, more nothing happening, more kids chucking rocks at them, and they get to the end of day two. All right, what happened today, boys? Nothing. Like, at some point, you're going to start to get pretty discouraged, aren't you? At some point, you're going to start to doubt that, that you're really doing it right. And that's what happens when God calls you to do something and you're midway and you haven't seen any progress. Our default setting is to think, Did I, can I reread the instructions? Can someone call God and find out if we're doing this right? Because there's nothing happening right now. I don't know, am I marching incorrectly? Is our trumpet playing bad? Like, I don't know what thing is holding us back right now, but you will start to doubt the promises of God. But here's the thing, God's promises are so rarely immediate. There's almost always a process involved with the promise. And in fact, oftentimes, the point isn't even the promise at the end, but it was the process that you had to go on to get there. God so often uses the process to build our faith and to teach us and to stretch us and to grow us. Sometimes the point of the promise is the process, that we know what it's like, 
We know how it feels to march around a town where the walls aren't falling. You've been there. You took God at his word and, and you did a thing and nothing's happened yet. You've been praying for healing over and over again, but you still have this. You, you've been praying provision over and over again, but you still lack. You've been praying for a sign for guidance, but it's still silent. And you're like, all right, I got to reread the instructions here, God. Something is going wrong. And I don't know what it is, but I'm not seeing any progress right now. And it gets frustrating and discouraging, but we've got to remember the process is often the point. And he's teaching us perseverance. He's teaching us endurance along the way. In fact, Romans 15.4 talks about this. It says, For everything that was written in the past, which is this story, was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So a big part of the reason why this story is in Scripture is to give you hope and endurance and that you can be encouraged that whatever God has called you to do, he hasn't forgotten you. He is going to do it. He is going to see it completed. He who began the good work will be faithful to complete it until the very end. You can count on that. And so if that's you today, if you're halfway through a promise and you are thinking, this is not going anywhere, do not give up, don't lose hope, don't stop praying, don't get bitter, you might just be on day four. You might be on day five. But Jesus says, you're getting close. Grab your trumpets, we're almost there. But you've got to endure this until the very end. It's faith building. And if you want to see the walls fall, you've got to be willing to march the full week. If they had stopped on day six, they'd give up a miracle. Don't stop. You have no idea how close you might be to fulfilling, seeing God's promise fulfilled in your life. And so it happens for them. Verse 15. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. And the seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you this town. There's that tense again. You've already got it. But get ready to go get it. Verse 20, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could, and suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. I love how just matter-of-factly the Bible shares ridiculous things. Now you think about that. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed. Now hold can we elaborate on this just a little bit? Because this is insane. Like what did that look like? How did that feel? What kind of sound was happening in that moment? That is a crazy story. And you picture yourself there for a minute that you've been walking around the stinking town for a week and on the final day, it's like you're on number 14. You've walked around it 14 times, and you finally finish your 14th lap. And Joshua's like, all right, let's do it. And the trumpets are going, and you just yell, just, let's do it. And you're like, what's going to happen? And all of a sudden, a pebble falls. And then another bigger rock. And then a bigger one. And then all of a sudden, the whole ground starts to shake because there are thousands of tons of stone that are just collapsing all around you. you got to jump back because you don't want to get crushed by this massive wall. And it's just the most unbelievable sight you've ever seen. And all of a sudden, all the people that were mocking you behind the safety of a wall don't have the safety of a wall. And they're looking at you like, uh-oh. And all those kids who are chucking rocks at you are running back home to mom because the walls just fell down. And you're sitting there going, he did it. He totally did it. 
he did what he said he was going to do. We just blew some trumpets and went for a walk and the walls are gone. Like that's an unbelievable story. And, and here's the thing that I love is that Jericho was totally not ready for them. They weren't inside those walls with their army all set up and ready to go. Why? Because nothing had happened over a full six days for them to merit getting their army ready. In fact, with every day that went by where nothing happened, they probably got a little more lazy, a little more relaxed. They probably thought, well, if they're going to give up any day now, this is just ridiculous. And so the thing they were frustrated by, walking around this town with nothing going on, actually may have served as the whole point in them being able just to go in and take the town. Which is a great reminder that sometimes the thing that you think has been your setback is what God used to set you up and to see his promise get fulfilled. I mean, how many times in your life can you look back at a really hard situation or a really confusing time where there was pain and you look back and you're like, I'm so grateful that happened because God taught me so much or I learned so much or I really felt that he carried me through. Sometimes the thing you get most frustrated by is what God is going to turn around and use in your favor. That's what happens in Jericho. And I used to think like, man, can you imagine what that would have done for their faith? how faith-strengthening that would have been. But what we find out later in Scripture is that it wasn't the walls falling that gave them faith. It was their faith that led to the walls falling. They had the faith before the walls ever fell. We see that in Hebrews 11, verse 30. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days and the walls came crashing down. See, they had enough faith to believe that God was going to do what he said he was going to do to the point where the walls actually fell. It wasn't the walls falling that they finally saw God and went, oh, he's right, it makes sense. No, no, no. The Bible says that faith is believing before you see. Faith is believing before the wall falls that the wall is going to fall. Faith is what you have to have before you see the promise fulfilled, actually in order to get the promise fulfilled. God wants to know if you have enough faith. And faith really is just taking God at his word, saying, I believe you. They had it before the walls fell. And in fact, faith has done so much through Scripture. The author of Hebrews goes on in verse 32, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets. By faith, People overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. By what? Just faith. Just faith. Just believing that God will show up and do what he said he was going to do. Just by believing that even when the walls are still standing, I have given you Jericho. And so you need to believe that in your own life, that what God is calling you to do, whatever thing that he has asked you to do, and you're doubting it and wondering and and kind of balking at doing that thing, you've got to have faith that says, no, God knows how this ends. And it's going to work out for you. But you've got to believe it before you see it. You've got to believe the ending at the beginning. That's faith. Do you believe it? Before you take that first step, every key part of your journey with Jesus will require faith. And so he wants to know, do you believe me? 
Will you take me at my word? Will you follow me when it doesn't make sense? Will you follow me when it doesn't match up with your experience? Will you follow me when it seems like there's too high of a cost associated with it? Right? And that's not just us as a church, but even you as individuals. Jesus is calling all of you to do something. What's he been asking you to do? Where has he been asking you to go? Who has he been asking you to talk to? Do you have faith that the end will happen at the beginning? Can you, can you believe the future tense or the, the future event in the present tense? Man, it's big. It's scary. At church, it's, it's doing a campus, even though we're stretched in three services, to do another one because God says, no, you just trust me. Trust me, you'll see how this ends, and it'll be good for the kingdom. There's another decision we made recently. Uh, our church has owned land on Cliff Street, right on the road for a number of years. Uh, and in fact, for a number of years, we had for sale signs on it. And it was just this past summer that we felt very strongly like God was saying, no, you've got to take those signs down. That's your land. This is our promised land in a lot of ways. We feel that God gave us this land miraculously. It has an incredible story. No matter how hard we tried to avoid it, no matter how many times we tried to get rid of it, God's like, no, no, this is your land. This is your home. You're going to be here someday. It doesn't make sense. That's a huge, daunting challenge. You look at that and you think, well, how is that ever going to happen? He goes, you just got to trust and have faith that I will get you there. So we took the signs down a couple months ago. I don't know what it means. Other than you should pray every time you drive down Cliff Street. Because we're believing that God knows what he's doing and what he says he's going to do, he's going to do. But now we have to do our part. And the same goes for you in your own life. If you're just waiting back for God to do something miraculous, he's probably waiting for you to stand up and do something ordinary. God's most extraordinary acts are usually preceded by very ordinary acts of people who stepped up to do their part. He'll do the hard work, but we just get to do ours. And so, we want to pray for you today. We want to pray that if there's someone in here that has been resisting a call of God on your life, that today is the day you take step one. I want to pray for some people today that are on day four of marching around the wall and nothing has happened yet and you're getting super discouraged. Don't throw in the towel today. Be encouraged. I want to pray for some of us today that even as a church moving forward, that we would have the faith to believe that God's capable of doing what he says he can do. And when he says, I believe there are hundreds and thousands more people in our own city who need me, he wants us to believe that it can happen. He wants us to have the faith that says, I believe it before I can even see it. He wants to grow our faith. And so we want to pray for that today. And so the band is going to sing a great song about God's promises and we get to declare his goodness. And maybe your response today is simply singing this song and believing it to be true. Maybe your response today, though, is that you need to come to the front and do some work with God. Maybe it's step one. Maybe it's just encouragement. If you ever see someone come up to the front, please come pray with them. But maybe that's what you need to do today as a response. Maybe you need to go talk to someone. Maybe you need to, maybe your response today is heading out to the lobby and getting on the phone and saying, all right, it's time. I don't know what it is for you. But I don't want you to get stuck on day four. And I don't want us to get discouraged to think that God isn't going to show up and do it. No, no, you can trust God's promises. And so let's have faith today.
that our God's word is true and good to the very end. 